Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Then after we pray, Freddie's going to come read to us from 1 Thessalonians. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come to your house this morning to worship you. Lord, I'm looking forward to being able to observe the Lord's table this morning. Looking forward to being able to look into your word and to be challenged from it. We just sang this wonderful song, Oh, How I Love Jesus. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. We thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins so that we could have eternal life, so that we could have fellowship with you, so that we could live a life of purpose and meaning, not one of emptiness and darkness. Lord, I pray for those in our church family today. I think of some who are sick and can't be with us. Lord, those who would love to be here but are too ill, I pray that you'd strengthen their bodies. I think of my friend this morning, pray for his daughter. Lord, you know the situation. Thank you for the opportunities to be able to encourage him and share the gospel. Lord, I pray that you'd meet that physical need in that family this week. Lord, give wisdom to them and encourage them. Father, I pray that all that's done this morning, the preaching in here, the singing in here, the singing in junior church, the preaching that happens to the boys and girls there, the folks working in the nurseries, Lord, the opportunities that many have to serve here, that it would all be done for your honor and glory. We thank you and praise you for what you have done in our church, and we look forward to what you will continue to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Freddie, why don't you come and read to us. He's going to be reading from uh, 1 Thessalonians this morning. We're beginning a, a short series in 1 Thessalonians. We're following along our theme this year of advance, taking the next step, and we want to be able to step forward in our service to the Lord and our obedience to Him, walking by faith. I know Shandy yesterday spoke to the ladies about walking by faith, and uh, this book of the Bible... It's a really short letter, just five chapters, but in this letter, as Paul wrote to this church in Thessalonica, he writes some very important things for us to be considering even today as a church. So I hope you'll be listening. Freddie's going to read all of chapter one, all 10 verses. So pay attention. Freddie, you read to us. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and the sign of God and our Father. Knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye are in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves shew of us what manner of entering, and we had unto you, 
and how ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Amen. I want to take just a second before we dismiss the boys and girls out to junior church. I want you to go back and look at that chorus. We're not going to sing it again, but I think that's some great truth. But there's also some big words in there, and maybe the boys and girls don't understand all those. Adults, you can pretend like you do, okay? But uh, no, hopefully you'll learn something as well. We just sang, yay, justified. Do you know what it means to be justified? The Bible teaches us that when I've sinned, I've broken God's law, right? And there's nothing that you or I could do to make up the difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the Bible teaches us that when Jesus Christ died for us on this cross, if we will accept His free gift of salvation, the Bible says that God justifies us. It's like He's a judge, right? And He writes across our account It's been justified. It's been fulfilled. Somebody said it this way, and this is an easy way to remember it. He made it just as if I had never sinned. Now, did I sin? Yes. Do you sin? Yes. We're all sinners. But because of Jesus Christ and His death on the cross, we have been justified. If you've accepted Christ's gifts of salvation. He said, yea, justified, oh, blessed thought. That is a blessed thought, isn't it? And then it says, and sanctified. So you say, well, we have justified. If that's making me righteous, if I'm getting God's righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ placed upon me, then why do I need to be sanctified? Well, think of it this way, right? If, if God in, in His book, if you will, and He has all of our sins, He knows everything that we've ever done, but across that page, because the blood of Jesus Christ, He writes, justified, it's all washed away, it's all forgiven, And I'm forgiven, and I'm holy before God, but do I still sin? Do I still struggle? Do I still have problems? Yes, I need to be sanctified. To be sanctified is the idea of being cleaned up, taking something that's dirty and helping to make it clean. Now, God writes over me, He's forgiven. My sins are forgiven. But that still doesn't take away all my bad habits, does it? Doesn't st- doesn't take away all my struggles of the flesh. And so the Bible teaches us that God uses the Word of God as the Holy Spirit works in us to sanctify us. And that should be a process that every single one of us, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you should be seeing that sanctifying work happen in your life. The Bible teaches us that this happens through the washing of the water by the Word. As God's Word sanctifies us, it purifies us, it cleans us up, teaches us new things. It teaches us how to think right, how to act right, helps us to walk in obedience with God. This is the process of sanctification. That's why if you've been a Christian for a long time, you ought to be doing better now than you used to do. You ought to live differently now than you did before you were saved. And I believe, and even as a Christian, we should never get to the place where we say, well, I've got it all figured out. But instead, we should see growth, just like we expect to see growth in our children, our grandchildren, right? If they're the same size this year that they were a year ago, we would say, there's a problem there. They're not growing. Something's up. And we'd be having them at the doctor trying to figure out what was wrong. Same thing ought to happen in our spiritual lives. 
If there's no noticeable spiritual growth in your life over the last few weeks, months, years, and you say you're a Christian, we've got to get in God's Word and figure out, what am I doing wrong? How can I get where God wants me to be? Sanctified. Salvation. Rot. So that sanctification is a process God does in us. He's saving us from our sins. This is a work that God does. And then the next slide here says, Thy blood hath pardon bought for me. We know what that means, to pardon somebody, right? That's a term we still use a lot today. You think of it in the court of law. If you've been pardoned, right, then that's all of your wicked things that you've done. The judge writes across it, no more. You've been pardoned. You've been forgiven. We've been pardoned because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. There's nothing good we could do to pardon ourselves. But according to His mercy, He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Thy blood hath pardon bought for me. Jesus paid the price of salvation. See, salvation is a free gift to you. But salvation is not free. It wasn't free to Jesus. He gave His life so that we might have it, so that we might have that free gift of salvation. And He says, and glorified I too shall be. Say, what does that mean? Well, I can't tell you from experience because it hasn't happened to me yet. But I'm looking forward to that day. The Bible speaks of glorification or being glorified as the day, someday, when I leave this earth. I leave all of its problems behind, all of its struggles, all of its sickness, all of its weakness, all of its pain, all of its sin behind. And I go to spend an eternity with Jesus Christ. That's when we're glorified. Hadn't happened yet. Some of you may be further along the path of sanctification than others. That's a good thing. You should be. If you looked around our church and everybody was at the same level of sanctification, we would be a very unhealthy church. Right? A, a healthy body should have people at all different levels of spiritual growth. And I'm thankful God's given us this here, here in our church. I'm excited how God's working. We talked about some of our goals that we have for growth and things that we want to see God do in our lives this year. I'm excited to see some of those things already taking place. We, we had a goal to see 100 adults involved in, in discipleship. We're going to talk about that a little bit more this morning. Did you know since January 1st, we've already had eight adults begin that? Isn't that wonderful? And we, we're already over 40, so eight more puts us almost to 50. God's good, isn't He? God's good. We're praying for souls to be saved this year. Now, I don't know of, uh, of somebody that's been led to Christ by somebody in our church, but I know people have been active in sharing the gospel. I was thankful this morning. I got to go see my guys at the donut shop this morning. I go to the same donut place every Sunday because I want to talk to the same people every Sunday. You know, I got a free coffee this morning, not for sharing the gospel, but for speaking in Spanish. It was kind of fun. You know, you kind of pull that out when you look like me because people don't expect me to speak Spanish. I'm, I'm too tall. I think that's what it is. <laughs> well, I was in there this morning, and this young Hispanic lady who doesn't speak much Spanish, she said to this older lady who spoke Spanish, she said, Estoy ayudarme? 
And that was about her accent. And the lady just kind of looked at her funny like, she said, I'm trying to say I'm helping you. And she just kind of nodded. And so I just looked at, back at the older lady. I say, ella está practicando su español. <laughs> and she smiled, got this big smile. So we started having a conversation. She said, ¿Quieres café? I said, sí, sí. So <laughs> I got my free coffee this morning for speaking Spanish. <laughs> Kids, stay in school, okay? Keep studying. You get free coffee maybe. But anyway, we had a good visit. But you know what? This was a good opportunity this morning. I got to sit with the, it took him a few minutes to get the donut tray this morning. I got to sit with this man that I get to talk to every week. And um, his daughter is in a coma, and she has been for several months. He said, we were up there with her yesterday. And he's been telling me about this for a while. I've been praying with him. And some of his friends, Henry and Lee, they're there too. And, and, and then today, out of, the blue, he goes, out of the blue, he says, I'm going to come down and visit you at your church one of these days. I said, that'd be great. He said, I'm going to surprise you. I said, I, I look forward to that. And then I said, you know, and he said, we're going up this week to meet with the family to try to decide what to do with, our, with my daughter. You need to pray for him. There are other people going through very difficult physical things right now. But praise the Lord, even in the midst of a physical trial that brings opportunities for spiritual growth. Isn't that good? So I said, yeah, I said, let me pray with you. And I said, if I can help you this week, let me know. He said, I said, I've got a card in the car. Let me give it to you. He goes, yeah. So he came out to the car with me and said hi to the kids. My wife took my card. Never know what the Lord's going to do. God's good. And I'm so excited about he, how he's helping us as a church continue to advance. We don't want to get comfortable and stuck. And say, well, God, we've done everything you want us to do. No, we haven't. God still has us here on this earth. He still has a purpose for our life. We might be struggling to figure it out and understand it, but we haven't been glorified yet. He's got us here for a reason. Keep serving the Lord. Be praying how you can win one to Christ this year. Maybe you win two or three or five or a hundred. But keep sharing the gospel. And how you can... Then take that one that you went to Christ and begin to lead them as they grow spiritually. That, that's what's going on. That, that's that eight new folks I was telling you about. We have some folks that are new believers, folks that are trying to understand, and so they're studying God's Word. And we have some folks who have been in the faith a little bit longer that are taking along that process. That's a blessing. That's where we see real spiritual growth happening in people. Be praying. Say, God, who can I follow this year? Who is somebody in our church that I can really connect with and begin to pray with them and they can help to lead me along? I, I need to grow. Let's never get content where we're at spiritually. And, and maybe some of you would commit to saying, I, I, in part of that spiritual growth, I'm going to continue to take additional Bible study things. I'm going to commit to come and enjoy the Bible study in Ecclesiastes on Wednesday night and spend some time in prayer. Or maybe you say, I'm going to commit to come starting next Sunday night. We're going to begin a study called Real Church. And it's just a simple study through what the church is and what it's supposed to be. At 5 o'clock on Sunday evenings, all the adults are going to meet in here. The children have their own classes. The teens have their own class. I think the teens have an activity tonight. They're going to have a great time tonight. Teenagers, if you can, be there for that. And then the adults, starting next Sunday night, will meet in here for a brief study together, and then we're going to divide up in smaller classes and discuss and apply these things to our lives. Tonight's a very important message, too. 
know, we talked about taking the next steps in our organization as a church, and I mentioned a little bit a couple weeks ago about looking at having some deacons and understanding what that is. Tonight I'm going to share with you from God's Word what the Bible says about who deacons are and what they're supposed to do. Aren't you thankful that God's Word has all the answers? Because I don't know about you, it, it can get discouraging when you just try to live by tradition or by how everybody did it at one time because everybody has a different idea. But I'm thankful we don't have to try to follow everybody's different ideas. We can just follow God's Word. And God's Word's faithful to teach us the truth. All right, well, we're going to dismiss the boys and girls that are headed with Brother Josh, Sister Anna, out to Junior Church. I'm so thankful for them and all they do. And uh, when I dismiss them, it's like half the congregation gets up and leaves. So Josh has a very important responsibility. Be praying for them. And uh, he shared a little bit Sunday, last, or I'm sorry, Monday night, I believe, on what the Lord's doing there. We had a wonderful time this past week at our missions conference. And I know some of you weren't able to be there for all the services, but we had a wonderful crowd here at every service, and we were challenged from God's Word. Brother Jan challenged us about being a healthy church. And folks, I think one way that we are becoming a healthy church is in our giving. Thank you for giving faithfully. Did you know in our missions conference offering this past week, we had a little over $2,400 come in for missions. Isn't that a blessing? That's a blessing. We were able to be a blessing to our missionary families that were here Sunday night. We were able to be a blessing to Brother Jan Send him on his way. He's in the Dominican Republic right now. They're, they're sharing the gospel in Espanol today. Isn't that a blessing? And they've got a whole team of doctors and nurses and, and preachers with them to share the gospel down there. So keep praying for them. Remember them and that God would bless. And uh, we'll look forward to that. Also, one final thing. As you turn in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians, tonight we're going to have our vote to approve our budget for this next year, and I'm just excited about all the Lord is doing and all that He will continue to do, so I hope you be there for that. Let's take our Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Before we begin reading and look at this passage this morning, I put the title up here as Launchpad. We want to advance in our spiritual life and following God. One of my favorite things to do when I was a boy was to build model rockets. Any of you ever built a model rocket? I know my boys have. All right, a few of you have. And uh, we, in our family, my dad made it a rule you could get a model rocket when you turned eight years old. And I remember looking forward to that birthday because I was going to get a model rocket. And so I got that rocket kit for my birthday and we got out the glue and all the different things that were required and we built that model rocket that model rocket's name was the Sizzler, and uh, I still remember it. I painted it, got it all ready, loaded the parachute in it, and then you would take these rockets out, and you, you could fly them. They have little engines that go in the back that are uh, kind of like giant firecrackers, basically, but they don't go bang. They just burn out, and uh, you hook up an igniter into the engine so that it sparks, and there's a long cord that goes back, and you've got a launch control. You push the button, you load it on this launch pad, and it's got a pole sticking out of the launch pad. And so it's very important what you do with that launch pad. The launch pad has three legs on it so that it will stand strong on the ground. I'm thankful we never had a launch pad fall over during the middle of a launch. 
I've seen some videos of people that did, and it didn't work out too well because instead of going up, the rocket shot sideways, and that got really exciting really quickly. That never happened to us. On that launch pad is that pole, and where that pole is pointing is what guides the rocket when it heads off of the launch pad. A launch pad, if you will, for a rocket is its foundation. And here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we're going to be looking at some foundational things this morning. But foundations are so important, whether it's launching a rocket so that it goes straight and doesn't end up where you don't want it, so that it goes where you want it to go and hopefully comes back where you want it to come back. It's also important to have a good foundation when you're building a building, right? If you don't get a good level foundation, guess what? Even when you get to the roof, there's still going to be problems with that building. If you don't get a good strong foundation that doesn't have cracks and it's not weak, you're going to have problems with that building. If we're going to step out and continue to advance in our spiritual lives, advance as a church, we need to make sure we've got the right launching place, the right launch pad. And that launch pad is solid and it's pointing us in the right direction. Because you know it well, right? If you don't launch well, you often don't end up well. Many people today talk about young people growing up and they say there's a failure to launch, right? Because this young person grows up, they might go to school and finish that, and then they move back in with mom and dad and they don't know where to go. They failed to launch. Maybe some of them, they lit their engines and it kind of just fizzled out, You know, we had some of those issues with those rockets. Sometimes the igniter wasn't good. Sometimes the batteries in the launch controller weren't fresh. Sometimes the igniter wasn't seated up in the motor properly, and so when you push the button, it sparked and fizzled, but it never lit the engine, and so nothing ever took off. And I'm afraid sometimes in in church, we can do a lot of talk, we can put a lot of stuff together, We can spend a lot of time organizing things and getting ready to do something and talk about the great thing that's going to happen and then nothing ever happens. And I don't know about you, but that's discouraging, isn't it? I mean, I remember there were a couple times, and this has happened with my boys too, we spent all the time to build a rocket. We went out and got all the materials and supplies. We planned a day. We checked the weather We made sure it was good. We drove out to the place where we were going to launch this rocket in this big field, and it was going to be so much fun. My boys remember this very well. This happened a few years ago to us. We got out there. We got everything set up. We put that rocket on a launch pad. We stepped back. We counted down 10, 9, 8. I mean, it was exciting. It was all exciting until we got to zero, and we pushed the button, and nothing happened. And we pushed it again, and still nothing happened. And we changed out the motors, and still nothing happened. We tried everything we could do, and nothing happened. You see, we'd put all that together. We'd put it on the launch pad. But the igniters didn't work properly. We couldn't get the rocket off the launch pad. You know what? All that effort, all that time, all that energy kind of felt like a waste. And I think the reality is sometimes in church, it's sometimes to many people. And I talk to people all the time, oh, I used to go to church, used to do that. Why aren't they here anymore? Well, there's a lot of different reasons. But one reason that you sometimes hear from people is, well, I just don't understand what the point of it is. It just kind of feels empty. 
pointless. Folks, I don't want to be excited up here for nothing. I don't want to waste my time. And I know you don't want to waste yours. We've got important things to do. We've got life to live, families to feed, houses to take care of. There's important stuff to do, so why are we here anyway? What's the purpose? What's the foundation? Well, let me give you just a little bit of context before I begin reading in 1 Thessalonians about this church. Because this is a letter that Paul wrote to a specific group of people that lived in the city of Thessalonica. This was a city that Paul visited on his second missionary journey. He came there on his travels and he went directly to the synagogue. You see, the synagogue was the place where the Jewish people would gather and they would be taught from the Old Testament. They would be taught the Word of God. Now, not all of these Jewish people were Christians. Some of them were just following the ways of Judaism, but they hadn't trusted in Christ as their Savior. Now, thankfully, some of these Jews did trust in Jesus Christ as their Messiah, as their Savior, but some did not. And so when Paul went to this city to preach, he went to the synagogue. And as he was preaching there, the Bible says, I'm going to read back in Acts chapter 17, so you can just understand what was going on. It says, when they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. And there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. So Paul had spent at least three weeks there preaching the Gospel and reasoning with them from the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and then risen again from this dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. You say, why was this so important? Well, see, the Jews, they were worshiping God, but many of them did not recognize Jesus as the Christ. And so Paul was taking the Old Testament and he was opening it up to them as they were used to listening to, and he was proving to them that it was Jesus who had fulfilled all of those Old Testament prophecies. That's why he says opening and alleging. He's making a case for the fact that Jesus is the Christ and that Jesus was the Savior come to save them from their sins. And so he's preaching this to them and the Bible says, and some, verse 4 of them, believed. So some believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks a great multitude. So some of the Jews believed and some of the Greeks, some of the Gentile people there believed in Jesus. And it says, and of the chief women, not a few. Men, why is it sometimes the ladies have more faith than we do? This is not a knock against women, but rather a wonderful accolade for ladies who trust in God. And men, it would behoove us to learn from this example, to be willing to trust in God. Sometimes as men, we can struggle just to trust in ourselves, trust in our own strength and our own wisdom. I'm thankful for ladies, for women of faith. The Bible says there was of the chief women, not a few, but the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company and set all the city in an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason. 
and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And when they had taken security of Jason... I'm sorry. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and the other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night. And to Berea, who was coming thither, went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now, I think, Tom, we have a map here. I want folks to be able to kind of understand the geography of what's going on here. Because there's several places mentioned in the passage I just read from Acts. And there's also several places mentioned in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So what you're looking at there, you see a little bit of Greece is kind of what you're looking at. To your far left in the picture, that's the bottom of the boot that is Italy. Okay, so if you're understanding the part of the world that you're looking at. So you've got the Aegean Sea there with all those islands and things in it. Maybe you see Athens, that's a city that we recognize. And up at the very top there, you see Philippi. Anybody can think, can anybody think of a book of the Bible that was written to the church at Philippi? What was it called? Philippians, that's right. And so Paul travels from there and he comes to Thessalonica. He comes there, he preaches the gospel. A number of people trust in Christ, but some people didn't. And the people that didn't, they wanted him out of town. And so they recruited to themselves people to spread false rumors about Paul and Silas. You say, really? People spread false rumors? Yeah. Still do it today, don't they? Fake news, false news, anything to discredit somebody else. That's why, by the way, if you ever have a question about someone or something, go to that person directly. Don't just believe everything you hear, because sometimes the news is not really the news, right? It's made up. So if you have a concern, and this is especially in the body of Christ, there's another believer, another follower of God that you say, I'm not sure I heard this, go to them and just ask them. And if someone comes to you and asks you a question, don't take it as they're accusing you of something. Be thankful that they're willing to talk to you and not just believe gossip about what they hear. But these people were stirred up because there was false information being spread about them. And so because of that, they were brought up on charges before the Roman authorities, and the Christians there feared for the lives of Paul and Silas. And so they said, get out of town as quickly as you can. So they did, and they went to the next city there on the map you can see called Berea. And then later on, if you keep reading in the book of Acts, they went on down to Athens and over to Corinth. So this was part of the journey, the missionary journey that they were on. Paul and his companions would travel to a city. They would preach the gospel. People that trusted in Christ, they would begin to teach them, help them to grow and understand the Word of God and to walk by faith. And then they would establish leadership in that church and they would move on and do the next thing over and over again. They were planting churches. And the same thing can be happening today, can't it? And should be happening. I'm thankful for what has happened here at our church and beginning and a group of people begin to follow God, begin to trust in Him. And you saw even this past week as we began to think about missions and sending people on and preaching the gospel elsewhere and the work of God going forth. Isn't it exciting 
to see that the work of God happens here, but it doesn't just stop here. It keeps going. And God was pushing these men on, even with persecution. So Paul later writes a letter back to the church at Thessalonica, and most Bible scholars believe he wrote it while he was in Corinth. So he's traveled along, and he's in the city of Corinth. Now, the city of Corinth is known for their church that was a pretty disobedient church. They did a lot of bad things. And so Paul is writing back to the church at Thessalonica, and he's thanking God for them. So let's go ahead and look at chapter 1. I needed to take some time to help us understand what we're getting into because the setting of the book is so important to understanding what the book actually means. So Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and let's just read verse 1. The Bible says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, by the way, Silvanus is another name for Silas, Timotheus, that's Timothy, under the church of the Thessalonians, which was in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the first point I want us to see this morning. I want you to notice who Paul's writing to. He's writing to the right place. He's writing to the church. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church. Why was he writing to the church? Well, Paul's writing to this body of believers. And he's going to give them some encouragement and also some commands of God. You see, God... In the New Testament, from the book of Acts on, the Word of God went forth to evangelize the world and to disciple believers, to see people fulfill the great commission that God had sent them to do. God does that work primarily through the church. So he's writing to the church. Because in this book, we're going to see over the next several weeks, God has a plan for what the local church should be about. God has a plan for the local church to advance, to go forward, to continue to follow after Christ. He's writing to the church because it's His plan to carry out His mission through the local church. We know that it's God's mission, it's God's desire to reach the world with the gospel. And He's given us the great commission, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Paul, or or Jesus even speaking in the book of Acts, chapter 1, talked about how God has sent us forth to be witnesses unto Him in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and under the uttermost part of the earth. You see, there's a great work to be done for the Lord. And God's plan is for that to happen through the local church. And He's writing specifically to the church at Thessalonica. That's why He says, unto the church of the Thessalonians. Notice where this church was founded or what this church was founded upon. It says, This church which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, there's a lot of reasons people meet for church. There's a lot of reasons people get together and have church. Church is sometimes based on a cultural preference. Well, this is just the people that look like me, talk like me, sound like me. And so let's just get together and be together because we all like each other because we're similar. Sometimes churches are based around a political preference. 
Well, we all see the same thing on this particular issue, so we're going to have a church. There are even churches built around all kinds of things, some of them even moral choices, moral preferences. Well, we all believe a certain thing about marriage. There's churches today that gather because they want to have a group of people that agree with them that it's okay to say that two men could marry each other. Did you know there are churches that gather around that issue? Folks, there are churches that gather around all kinds of issues. But that doesn't make them the right kind of church. It's very simple what the right kind of church is. It's a church that has the right foundation. And, and Paul speaks about this church at Thessalonica. He says, this is a church that is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, if we are not focused around and centered upon and founded upon the fact that God is our Father and that Jesus is the Christ, then, then what are we here doing anyway? We might have a group, we might have an association, we might have a club, we might have an organization, and those things may or may not be a problem. But they're not a church that is going to accomplish the work of God. We must be a church that starts at the right place. That's why Paul's writing to the church. He's not just writing to an individual. He's not writing to the city council. Folks, the answer is not with government. Government is there to serve God. God's given them a role and a responsibility to protect people and to give people freedoms so that God's Word could go forth. But it is the church's responsibility to carry out the message of declaring the truth of Jesus Christ. That's why it's never worked very well in history when governments tried to take on the role of spreading the gospel. Because it doesn't work very well if I'm the governor and I say, it is commanded that you come to church. Or it is commanded that you believe this. Why? Because you can't legislate morality. I can't force you to believe something. I can share the truth with you. I can make, force you to conform to something, but I can't change your heart. That's something that only the Holy Spirit of God can do with the working of God in your heart. That's why it's so important a church must start at the right place. It can't be founded on just a tradition or just a certain way of thinking. It must be founded on truth, the Word of God, and the truth that Jesus Christ is our Savior, the church. He says, Grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we are going to be a church that launches out, that advances, that steps forward by faith, we must establish the right start. We've got to start from the right place. And folks, the work that God has called us to do starts right here in the church. In the church. But Paul doesn't finish this portion of the letter here. He continues on. Notice verses 2 through 5. He says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, 
in the Holy Ghost in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. So we see that the foundation must be in the right place. That's in the church. But then we see next that there's a right message. The right message. The right message is given through what you say and, listen, it's also given through what you do. Some people think they can share a good message just by what they say. Man, I'm speaking the truth. But folks, if what you do doesn't back up what you say, it often negates what you're saying. Because people will look at your actions often long before they'll ever listen to what you're actually saying. You say, well, that sounds good. But you know, everything we say, we want to be able to base it on the Word of God. Let's look at those verses again because Paul speaks specifically about what they say and what they do. Notice in verse 2, he says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. What are they thanking God for? He says, remember without ceasing your work of faith. Is a work of faith just something you talk about? No, because it's a work. It's something you're doing. It's something you're doing. If, if your faith doesn't motivate you to do anything, if it doesn't motivate you to live for God, if it's just something, well, it's a very personal thing, it's just my faith, then it's not really faith at all. James says it this way in the Bible, faith without works is dead being alone so don't tell me about your faith demonstrate it through your works demonstrate it through how you live paul says your work of faith your labor of love he continues on this hey i can tell you i love you all i want brother larry i love you but telling him doesn't mean much until i show it Love is often a labor. And labor's not always easy, is it? Labor has the idea of something that's hard. It takes effort. Folks, as Christians, shouldn't we be willing to love somebody even if it takes extra effort more than somebody else? I mean, didn't Christ love us first? I talked about that with my friend at the donut shop this morning. We were talking about love. He said, we live in a world, folks are just, everybody hates everybody. I said, well, that shouldn't be said of us as Christians, should it? So we ought to be known for our love. But folks, many times as Christians in general, we're not known for our love. Why? Because it's something we talk about, but it's not often something we demonstrate. It's a labor. It takes work. It means giving up your time. It means giving up your money sometimes. It means putting some sweat into it. It means going after somebody that's maybe not very lovable. A conversation just this past week with a lady. She's come here to church a few, about two times. She came in. She had been badly beaten by the man she'd been living with. Folks, not everybody's easy to love. She came in looking for help, needing some encouragement. Do we love people that look like their life is harder than ours? Or do we just pity them? It's one thing to, well, I just feel sorry for them. It's another thing to go love them because love says, 
I'm going to come try to bring you to where I am. I'm not just going to say, here, take this and you go back over and do your thing because I don't want to get involved in that. Love says, no, I'm willing to get involved in your situation just like Jesus got involved in your situation. Jesus came down from heaven. That's love. He left his throne and he came to this earth and he was born and placed in swaddling clothes in a manger. I mean, yeah, he had cows in his nursery, but it wasn't the stickers on the walls that some of the babies have. Not, they were real live cows, you know. Jesus gave up everything, and then he went to the cross, and he was beaten and bruised and whipped, torn. That's the, a labor of love. Paul's writing to this church, and he says, You've demonstrated your faith through great works. As you're going to see later on in this chapter, they face tremendous persecution. I read about that a little bit over there in Acts chapter 17. As the leadership of the church was brought out and put in front of the council, they were going to be punished for what they had done. Folks, I'm thankful I haven't experienced that. But it could happen. And it could happen to you as well. It could happen to any one of us. Would we be willing to go to that place to have so much faith in God that we say, God, I'm going to trust you even if they take away my freedoms. God, I'm going to follow you and obey you even if, you take, even if they take away my money, even if they take away my home. Work of faith, labor of love. And then he, re, he remembers in prayer, he's thankful for their patience of hope. What was their hope in, though? Because just having hope doesn't mean a whole lot. I love what Brother Jan Milton said this past week. He said, your faith in and of itself is not really good or bad. The issue is not that you have faith, it's who or what your faith is in. Right? Because you could have faith in something bad, right? <laughs> or you could have faith in God. We all have some measure of faith. It's where your faith is placed. Same thing with hope. I mean, you could hope that something's going to happen and it never happened and you waste all that energy and all that hope on something that's empty. But his hope was not in something empty. <clears throat> Notice he says, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. I like the song, Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. The song says, Get thee behind me, Satan, for Jesus never fails. That's something you can place your hope in. Jesus says in the book of John, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go again, surely I will return. He says so that He might bring us to be with Him there. We have great hope. We have great hope. See, this was a church that Paul's writing to the church because that's the right place to start. But he gave them a right message. 
says this is the message of hope. This is the message of love. This is the message of faith. And it's being demonstrated through what you do, not just what you say. Keep reading. He says in verse 4 and then 5, Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. See, they were confident in their hope because they knew they were saved. They were knew that their sins were forgiven. They were part of the family of God. And then he says in verse 5, For our gospel came not unto you in word only. Folks, may we never be guilty of only sharing the gospel with our words. That's only saying it. Right? The right message is not just what we say, but also what we do. He says, Our gospel came not to you in word only, but also in power. This is the idea of the ability This is something that can move us forward. This is something that's real. This is not me just telling you about something and painting this pretty picture, but never having any reality behind it. This isn't just saying, hey, this is the plan. This is the vision. This is the hope. This is what we want to do and never getting there. God's given us a word. God's given us the truth. God's given us hope. He's given us salvation, and it's real. You can count on it because it comes from our almighty, heavenly Father. And folks, if you will live by faith, if you will live in obedience to the Word of God, you too can see God at work in your life. We heard a great message this past week about not just hearing of the works of the Lord, but seeing it with our own eyes. I don't know about you, but I want to see the works of God. I want to experience God's work. I want to be a part of it, not just in my life, but also see it in your lives. I want to see it as a church as we step forward by faith and advance in the cause of Christ. We serve a great God, and if all we do is talk about it and hear about it, we're going to end up pretty tired and worn out after a while. But I don't know about you, I want to see it. I want to get out and be a part of it. I want to see God do a work in someone else's life. I want to see God take some broken person and restore them to himself. I want to see God take broken marriages and bring them back together. I want to see God take estranged children and parents and restore families. I want to see drug addicts get clean. I want to see drunkards get rid of their problems so that they can walk faithfully with God. I want to see people who... The society says they have no hope, no chance. Let's just cast them out. Let's write them a check every month just so they go away and leave us alone. Let us do what we want to do. I want to see those people become contributing citizens and part of a nation and more importantly, a church that pleases God. Work of faith. Labor of love. A patience of hope. Paul says our word didn't just come to you in what we said, but also in power. Notice, because it's not just in our working. We can work really hard. That's not enough. He says in the Holy Ghost. All is vain unless the Holy One comes down. We need the power of God's Holy Spirit. I loved every Sunday morning when I was first a youth pastor, Pastor Clayton, and some of you haven't met him, you'll meet him in March, he's going to come preach one Sunday in March, but he used to pull me into his office and say, 
will. Let's pray. We'd sit down there in his office and we'd begin to pray. And he'd have each of us pray for the service that day, that God would work, that people would be saved, that God would do wonderful things. And then it would, he would always close us. And something he always said in his prayer that always stuck out to me, he'd always say, Lord, we're nothing without you. Jesus' name, amen. Folks, we need to keep that attitude. All of our words, all of our work, all of our energy, all of our plans and banners and organizing and programs and events are nothing without the power of God, without the Holy Spirit. You say, well, how do we get the Holy Spirit? How do we get the power of God? Well, that's a whole other message for another time, but let me just briefly share with you this. God's Holy Spirit works in clean vessels. Confess your sin to God. Be right before God. And God's Holy Spirit works on expectant vessels too. Look for the work of God. Ask God to do a work. If we have the attitude that we've got this, I can do this, I can do all things through my strength which strengtheneth me, that's not what the Bible says. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I'm nothing. See, the right message is given through what you say and what you do. Do we have the right message? Are you sharing the right message? Is it just something you talk about? Or is it something that's really changed your life? If it's really changed your life, it'll change what you do. I need to move quickly here. I want you to notice next in verses 6 and 7, he talks about the right example. Follow a good example to set a good example. Paul says in verse 6, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples or examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Now, if you saw that map earlier, Macedonia and Achaia are not cities, they're referring to regions, areas. You see, verse 6 is talking about, you see Macedonia there at the top, and Achaia down below. These are big areas of land. The church at Thessalonica, when you see them coming to Christ, you see a few Jews, many Gentiles, and some of the chief women. So these were the wives of the leaders in the city. Probably not a very large church. It sounds like at least as many, if not more, women than men. This is not a knock against women, but if you think about this in this day and age in the culture, who held the power, who held the money, who held the authority? It wasn't the women. It was the men. And you would think, well, then that... This church wouldn't be a very strong church because how would they have any authority? How would they get stuff done? They couldn't change the laws. They, they didn't have the right to vote like we do. They didn't hold the checkbook so that they could write the, the, the big checks and make a difference. You know what? God doesn't need your money to make a difference. God can do the work. He's God. 
but he lets us be a part of his work. You see, a strong church isn't necessarily a rich church financially. A strong church is not necessarily an influential church politically. A strong church is a church that relies on the strength of God. And often what you see is a strong church, then often God does bless them with financial blessings. Why? Because they're going to pass it on. And sometimes God even blesses them with political influence. Why? Because they're really making a difference in people's lives. But we should never have a church that's just striving to get more money to put in our pockets. That's not what it's about. We're not here to strive to be a church to say, how can we have more pull politically? I'm not saying we shouldn't try to influence things for right, but I'm saying if we're just here to exalt ourselves for own fame and our own position, that's the wrong reason to have a church. We exist as a church to glorify God, to obey Him and fulfill His plan. You see, these people had the right example. Notice who they became followers of. Well, first, Paul says, you became followers of us. So that means they followed Paul, Silas, and Timothy. That's one of the wonderful things I love about studying God's Word one-on-one with different people. You're helping someone to become a follower of you and then in turn to become a follower of God. Because sometimes for them in their mind, they're going, I don't know how to become a follower of God. That seems like such a giant concept. How do I become a follower of God? Let me help you. Start following someone else who is following God and they'll lead you right to God. You want to follow God? Follow someone else who already is following God. It's a wonderful thing. Paul says, you became followers of us and of the Lord. Notice, says, having received the word in much affliction. We read about that in Acts 17. They went through a lot of pain and persecution for following God. But even in the affliction, it says, you had joy. With joy. They can persecute you. But if your joy is in the Lord, they can't take that away. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So thankful for the joy that we have in the Lord. They had the right example. Paul had set a good example for them. And through his example, they became followers of Christ. Notice next, verse number 8 and 9. This follows right on the heels of this idea. As they had good examples, they became good examples to other people. They had the right influence. Folks, as we follow God faithfully, it's amazing what kind of influence God can give us. So, we're in the process of bringing some missionaries in that we can have coming through our church. I read a couple missionary letters to you this past week. Isn't it amazing to think about those missionaries doing work in northern Sudan that we read about this week? Missionaries doing some work with the Navajo Indian tribes out in Arizona. Isn't that interesting? And we have more to read. I got a text message from another one of these missionaries just this morning on the way to church asking us to pray. He's had some health problems and God has given him some strength so now he can go and continue to minister. He ministers all over Latin America. Folks, as we follow God faithfully, God's going to increase our influence. It's amazing. I think about this. When you just think of those few missionaries we're talking about supporting and taking on, 
That literally represents tens of thousands of people that our church can have an influence on. Isn't that wonderful? I think about this week, I got some text messages this week from some people who read my newspaper article in the leader this week. It goes to some, I think they say 30,000 homes every week. That's an opportunity for influence. Say, well, there's not that many of us. We're a small church. Sure. But your influence is so much bigger than you think it is. Folks, this isn't just on a corporate level. This happens on an individual level. Every single one of you in this room has influence over a huge group of people that aren't here right now. There's people watching you. Say, I'm just a kid. There's other people watching you. Children, even adults are watching you. Your faith and faithfulness to God as a child can be a great challenge and encouragement to the adults in your life. Adults, children are watching you. Your children are especially watching you. Bringing them here to church is not enough. You have a great opportunity to influence the next generation, two generations, three generations to follow Christ. And it's not just the children are watching adults. There's other adults watching you. You say, well, I don't, I don't have that many friends. It's just a few. There's people watching you. Your neighbors are watching you. It's not just the creepy guy peeking over the fence. I mean, it, there's people, they watch you. They, they start to see your routines. If there ever goes a Sunday and I don't go pick up the donuts, if I'm out of town, when I come back the next week, I'm in trouble. Where were you? What's wrong? I just went on vacation for a week, okay? There's people watching. That, that's the Arise Baptist Church Shipley's Donuts edition, you know, like... That's the service before the service. It's a real small church right now. It's only about three in the church. But that's okay. I would ask you, where's your church outside of the church? Where's your group that you are influencing that's not inside these four walls this morning? Who's your one that you're praying to win? Who's the one that you're leading? You're leading somebody. They became examples to all those in Macedonia and in Achaia. He says in verse 8, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, so that's a really big area, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. See, Paul is a traveling missionary. He goes from place to place, and he says, Ever I go. People have already heard about your faith. All the people I'm talking to, they already know what you're doing. Isn't that exciting? What an example. People talk, don't they? And isn't it interesting? Often bad news spreads a lot faster than good news. People love to talk about bad stuff. Something bad happens or somebody does something dumb or foolish. Well, everybody wants to talk about that. So if you're, doing, if you're not getting talked about a lot, that's maybe a good thing, right? <laughs> like, I must be doing something right. My boss, my sales manager used to say, no good deed goes unpunished. You know, sometimes you feel like, I, I'm trying to do the best I can, and I just get in trouble for it. Folks, influence is a, is a difficult thing. 
and it's something that can be quickly lost or misconstrued. But influence happens when, in a church, when the power of God is at work. And when people get together and get focused on the same foundation, with the same message, with the same focus, with the same purpose, and they start to go out and do something for the Lord, and God begins to do a good work, and God spreads the influence the way it ought to spread. And it's amazing the work that God can do. I got texts from two or three other people this morning. Hey, Pastor, we're praying for your church this morning. I got a text from somebody in Alabama this morning about that. I got a text from somebody in California this morning about that. I got a text from this missionary this morning down in Latin America today. You say, you mean us gathering here today is having encouragement on those people? It is. Guess what? I talk about you sometimes. Not in a bad way, but I share about what God's doing. I got an opportunity two weeks ago to fly to Tampa, Florida, and they asked me to speak and address a group of several hundred pastors from all over the country. And they said, what's God doing in Houston? I said, I don't know about all of Houston, but I know what God's doing in our church. Here's how much God's grown our church this past year. Here's how many people have trusted Christ this past year. Oh, and let me tell you about so-and-so. They're really walking with the Lord. God's doing some wonderful things. There's been some change in their life. Don't worry. I know we're not all perfect, and I tell them that too. But don't you just like to hear some good news once in a while? I don't know about you, but I sure do. I'm not trying to minimize and say we don't have problems and there isn't growth and you aren't struggling and I'm not struggling. We all know that. But we have a great God. So as we're sharing the influence, it's not so much the influence of you and me. It's the influence of our Heavenly Father and what He can do. And people love to hear about that, and they're encouraged by that. And then let me finish up. Got two final things here this morning. We see this right example, the right influence. He says in verse number 9, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols, to serve the living and true God. These people made an about face. They were headed in one direction. They were worshiping idols, false gods, and they turned and began to follow the true God. You see, when God comes into your life and He really begins to work, there's change that takes place. If you can say, I follow God, but nothing's different at all, I'm still the same as I always was, Maybe you're not really following God. Historically, there have been many people who have tried to add God in to what they were already doing. It's like, well, I'm already doing these things, making these choices, going to these places. And I heard this thing about God, and I think that'd be good. Let me just add that in. It's kind of like a casserole, you know. Open the fridge and whatever's in there, just pitch it in, stir it in, throw it in the oven. It'll all turn out good, right? That's not how it works with God. God's not just an additional ingredient you add to your life. These people turn to God to serve the living and true God. They turn to God from idols. Old things were passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If God's at work in your life, you ought to be changing you. 
There ought to be some things that you could say, you know, Pastor, these are some things that I used to do. This is the way I used to think. This is the way I used to act. But now I'm following God, and so those things are in the past, and I'm headed this direction now. That's the process of sanctification taking place in your life. They turn to God from idols. And then finally, we want to see in verse 10, the right hope. I already mentioned their hope, the patience of hope, back in verse number 3. But he mentions it again in verse 10. He says, You've turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Folks, I don't know about you, but I get tired sometimes. I know it's true, Pastor. I know all, everything you're saying this morning's right. I know I need to be sharing the gospel. I know I need to be living by faith. I know I need to be walking in truth and letting God's Word change me. But I just, I need a break sometimes. What's your motivation? What's your hope? Why are we doing this anyway? There's the right hope. And Paul reminds them of this hope aware there to keep their eyes because there will come difficult days. As a pastor, there are days when you feel like people were coming and growing and then now you feel like people are turning and running away. You can get discouraged by that. But folks, my hope is not in people. As an individual, you can have days where you feel excited because it feels like there's the bank account's growing every month. And there's other days that are discouraging because it feels like it just keeps shrinking. There are days when it feels like everything's coming together and it's all happening. And look what we're going to be able to do. And then there are days you feel like, all that stuff that I thought I had figured out now feels like nothing. You ever have that happen? Life is like that, right? It has ups and downs. Say, but pastor, you're talking about a church that's advancing and growing. That sounds like consistent growth and consistent direction. How can we accomplish that if life is often ups and downs and backs and forth? It's about having the right hope, the right focus. Because there will come days when you have more and there will come days when you have less. Come days when you feel strong and healthy and other days when you feel weak and tired. Other days when everybody's patting you on the back and telling you what a great person you are. And other days people, it seems like, are just want nothing more than to stab you in the back. How do we get through it? It's having the right hope. He says, my hope, their hope, is to wait for His Son from heaven. See, we're waiting for something that's been promised. And we're waiting on something that's been promised by someone who always keeps his promises We're waiting on his son from heaven you say well is that really possible well he's already given us some evidence he tells us in that verse whom he raised from the dead you don't think god has power to bring the death back to life it's not just something he talked about remember your message is not just what you say it's also what you do what did he do well, he raised Jairus' daughter back to life. He raised Lazarus back to life, who'd been dead three days. 
And if that wasn't enough, he raised himself back to life after three days. Folks, that's hope. But hope is so easily taken away and shattered because it's just like this. I have hope because I'm focused in one place. And then something happens and pushes me or hits me from the side and I get my eyes off on something else. And I forget my hope. I forget my purpose. I forget where I'm at. That's why, folks, it's so important that in the Christian life, you're part of church. Because even if you lose your hope or I lose my hope, someone else can come along and say, brother, sister, don't forget. Here's why we're here. Here's where we're headed. Here's the focus. Hey, you've gotten your eyes off. Get back on track. Get back with the Lord. He can help you. I know life is tough. I know you're sick. I know, I know you don't have the money that you want. I know you don't have this or that or somebody did something to you. But God is still good. He still keeps His promises. God always wins. God's going to help you. And these aren't just empty words. These are words confirmed through the works of Jesus Christ Himself, whom He raised from the dead. What's your problem this morning that's keeping you from following after God? I want you this morning to give that to the Lord. Say, God, this is what's keeping me from fully committing to what you want me to do, but I'm going to trust you with this. Trust that you can take care of it. Maybe it's your fear. God, if I do that, I'm afraid of what this person might say or how this is going to work out at the job or what my wife is going to do or my husband's going to do. Give your fear to the Lord today. If He can raise Himself from the dead, don't you think He can take care of you? Maybe you're afraid to say, I'm afraid to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior because what's that going to mean? How's that going to change me? Folks, give that to the Lord. He, he raised Himself from the dead. Follow Christ, the right hope, looking unto Jesus. We see a church here as Paul's writing to them. He writes to the right place, the church. He gives them the right message, the gospel, not just in word, but also in deed. He demonstrates a right example. He says, you became followers of me and of the Lord so that they would then have the right influence. He said, you became examples to all that were in Macedonia and Achaia, and he leaves them with the right hope. The right hope. Where's your hope this morning? If it's in me, folks, I'll probably disappoint you at some point. I don't want to, but it might happen. If your hope is in our government, I mean, come on. <laughs> I don't even know how to help you anymore. <laughs> Folks, our hope's not in that. Your hope isn't in your rights and your freedoms. Your hope is not in your strength. It's not in your ability. Our only hope is in Christ. The right hope. I hope you'll commit to following the Lord and advancing with me this year to commit to win one and lead that one to find one that you can follow and to continue to take one, study God's Word, continue to learn it, be a part of what's going on so that you can 
help to fulfill God's work in your life and God's work in our church. I'm excited. I hope you're excited. There's a lot to be excited about. And if you're not excited, come talk to me and I'll tell you some more stories and you'll be excited too about what God's doing. Because God is at work. Jesus is still raising people from the dead. Ephesians 2 says it this way, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. You say, who's he raised from the dead lately? Well, I can think of a number of people last year that were raised from death to life. Spiritual death to spiritual life. You got to see a number of them baptized in this baptistry right here. And some of them are you sitting here this morning. A year ago at this time, you were dead spiritually. And now you're spiritually alive. God's still doing a work. And you know what? I believe there's a whole lot more spiritually dead people out there. And maybe some even here this morning. That God wants to give spiritual life to. I hope that you'll give your life to Him and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let's bow for prayer. We're going to bow for prayer and have a time of invitation. Maybe you like to come and pray with me down here at the altar. Some are coming this way. Maybe there's something you need to confess to the Lord this morning. Come give it to Him. Ask God to forgive you and follow Him. Maybe you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning. Say, Pastor, I've gone long enough in my own strength trying to do things on my own. I need Jesus. If, you, if that's you this morning, I'd like to pray for you. If there's anybody like that, if you slip your hand up, I'll just pray for you, not by name, just before the Lord. Can I pray for anybody like that this morning? Say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to know more how I can be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to know how my sins can be forgiven. All right, let's pray. Father, Lord, you're working in hearts. You've worked in my heart. Lord, we need this truth. God, let it not just be empty truth that goes in one ear and out the other, but that your Holy Spirit would take it and drive it deep into our hearts and convict us, not through my power of speech, but through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Lord, I pray that you do a great work in our church, do a great work in us as individuals, do a great work in our families that are here. Be with those who cannot be with us here today. Lord, help us to walk by faith and obedience to you. To be a church that launches well this year. That walks by faith that continues to advance forward. There's a great work that needs to be done. There's a great cause. And thank you for letting us be part of it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.